Thursday, October 14th, 1965. Bloomington, Minnesota, Game 7. Over 50,000 are in attendance to watch the Dodgers and the Twins. Just over a month before, on September 9th, Sandy Koufax pitched a perfect game, the fourth no-hitter of his career. He became only the sixth pitcher of the modern era to accomplish that feat. His game score of 101 in that game still ranks as the fourth highest in Major League Baseball history. In the period from 1963 to 1966, Koufax led in the ERA all four seasons, sported a total record of 97-27, and 27, winning three Cy Youngs and a 1963 MVP, World Series title, and World Series MVP. He was dominant. Flash forward to October, and he's on the mound in a Game 7 with a chance to win a championship. Just three days earlier, in Game 5 of the series, Koufax pitched a complete game shutout with the Dodgers taking it 7-0. He dominated the Twins lineup led by Hall of Famers Tony Oliva and Harmon Killebrew. Oliva was the Rookie of the Year in 1964 and batted 321 in 1965 with 98 RBIs. Harmon Killebrew was injured in August of 1965. When he got injured, he was leading the AL in home runs and RBIs. He was able to come back and participate in the series. In the previous three seasons, he had hit at least 45 home runs and would later win an MVP in 1969. While he didn't win an MVP in 1965, his teammate Zoilo Versailles did. He batted 273, had 45 doubles, 12 triples, 19 home runs, 27 stolen bases, led the major leagues in runs scored. He did a little bit of everything. Point here is, the Twins had a damn good lineup. In 1965, there were really no playoffs like we know now. The Twins had the best record in the American League, 102-60. and 60. The Dodgers led the NL at 97-65. and 65. Those two teams played, and that was the extent of the MLB playoffs. There was no seeding. There were no wildcard teams. Nothing. That was it. After losing Game 5... The Twins snatched Game 6 with a 5-1 victory and were ready for their chance to win their first World Series championship. After the, Dodgers go down quietly, after the Dodgers go down quietly in the first inning of Game 7 with a single but nothing more, Zorlo Versailles steps into the box in the bottom of the first to face off against Koufax. He starts off with a high fastball. The crowd roars. Ball one. The historic voice of Vin Scully calls the game. After a few foul balls, Koufax strikes him out swinging and follows it up with a five-pitch ground out, but the first inning didn't come and go so easily. He struggled with his control, walking Oliva and Killebrew back-to-back in the 3-4 hole. There was two guys on, two outs. The Dodgers quickly started getting Don Drysdale up in the bullpen. Pretty nice to have another Hall of Famer ready to go. It was no need. Earl Batty struck out in four pitches. Koufax was out of the inning. But 26 pitches in the first inning wasn't exactly ideal. He got through the second inning quite smoothly, however, striking out two and only throwing 11 pitches. He was right back on track. It was still scoreless in the bottom of the third when Zoilo Versailles got the Twins their first hit. Again, Drysdale was getting warmed up in the bullpen, but Sandy again took care of it himself. Dodgers clearly weren't playing games here. They were ready to go to Drysdale at any point if they saw Koufax struggle. The fourth inning broke things open for the Dodgers. They were finally able to get on the board. Lou Johnson smacks a home run down the left field line just inside the foul pole. 
to give the Dodgers a one nothing lead. Now, if you watch the live footage of this, it's kind of hard to see. Um, obviously, not great, great quality, plus, you know, black and white. And look Down the line, it very much looks like it definitely could be foul. I mean, it's right down, right down the line. If it's inside, it's inside by a foot at the most. It's quickly followed up by a double on the first pitch and a single on the first pitch, which stretches the Dodgers' lead to 2-0. That was the end of Jim Cat's day on the mound. Koufax followed up the Dodgers' lead by taking the Twins down 1-2-3 in the fourth inning. It remained 2-0 after four. What made Koufax so great is he had two pitches that are talked about among the best in history. A great rising fastball and a gravity-defying curveball. This is what Pete Rose had to say about Sandy. Sandy Koufax? Oh, it- no, I, I hit 175 off Sandy Koufax. Okay, I'm going to ask this because I'm going to get weird on you, okay? He's the only athlete in my life. I saw Wilt play. I saw Ali box. The only athlete in my life that I never saw play that I really wish I did was Sandy Koufax. He was unbelievable. Okay, now, 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 I want you to explain. I'm driving around my car and I'm listening to Pete Rose on the radio. You step into the batter's box against Sandy Koufax. You're young. You're 22. Yeah. Take me to what it was like. Because you have an ins- I know you're thinking in your head right now. You remember the at-bats. I got 10 for 57 off of him. Get your calculator. That's 175. When you don't hit your weight off of a pitcher, you're doing pretty <laughs> bad. Okay? And I weighed 202 when I played. So I was hoping to hit 200 off Sandy Koufax. I, I, I couldn't hit him. Listen, he had a great fastball. I can't do it. I could do it with this. All right, here he goes. He's moving to a melon on the set. He had okay. a great fastball, okay. right? right? And he had a curveball that broke like that. Just How in the hell are you going to hit that curveball? My first three years in the league, he struck out over 1,000. He got 382 in 1965. 382 strikeouts. What was his fastball? Was his fastball 90? Just a rising fastball and that big curveball. You don't know this, but he went to the University of Cincinnati. Basketball player. Yeah, absolutely, because he's got these real long fingers, and he wrapped that curveball. Just be happy you didn't have to face Sandy Koufax. Did you strike out a few times? Probably. Arguably the greatest hitter of all time got beaten down by the dominance of Sandy Koufax. Over 4,000 hits, and yet he struggled to hit his body weight off Sandy, as he said there. Hank Aaron, 755 home runs, had plenty to say about Sandy as well and and his struggles in a story Bud Selig tells here. I was just getting involved in baseball, and I made some road trips with the Milwaukee Braves. And uh, this was in 1964. And Henry and I were very close then, as we are today. And Henry never complained about a pitcher. Now, Henry Aaron, to me, is the greatest player of my generation. But, you know, we can have a debate about that, and I understand (laughs) that. But we were in L.A., and Spawn pitched, Warren Spawn pitched, who was a great pitcher. Right. 363 games, and and, um, over a long career, maybe his greatest lefty of all time. But we, Spawn faced... Um, Koufax, and we lost. The, Bra- the Braves lost two to one. And then we took a plane to Houston, and the only pitcher I've ever heard Henry talk about before and since, he said to me on the plane, "Boy, am I glad I don't have to face him again." That's how great Sandy Koufax was. And <laughs> Sandy would say the same thing about Henry Aaron. So he was, you know, he first came up in the fifties, and he couldn't get the ball over the plate, and threw the ball up in the wire behind home plate, and it was. But he made himself a pitcher. I think his last year he pitched 27 complete games. I mean, just, he was awesome. And he was just, it's, 
I've seen a lot of great pitchers, Gibson and Spawn, and you can go on, Marischal, you can go on and on and on, great pitchers. But for a seven-year period, I never saw anything like that. In 1965, Sandy Koufax had 382 strikeouts, which now stands as the second most in the modern era, just one behind the great Nolan Ryan in his 1973 season. So he broke it eight years later. But Sandy Koufax held the record up until that point. His 2.04 ERA led the MLB in 1965. His 26 wins led the MLB. His 0.855 whip led the MLB. His 335 and two-thirds innings pitch led the MLB. Are you sensing a pattern here? His 27 complete games led the MLB. He had more complete games than wins. Let's just think about that. Obviously a different era back then, but he was still doing things even guys then weren't doing. 1965 was the heart of some careers of great Hall of Fame players. Bob Gibson had a historic MVP season in 1968. He was pitching great before that as well, 1965, 1966. Really came into his own in 1968, though. Roberto Clemente won MVP in 1966, the year after this. And Willie Mays won an MVP in this very 1965 season we are talking about. Roger Maris had just recently hit 61 home runs in 1961 an American League record that stood for 61 years until recently, obviously, with Aaron Judge. Carl Ustremski won his MVP in 1967. The great Hank Aaron that we were just talking about had 89 of his career 2,297 RBIs, a career record that still stands. Every one of these guys was playing in 1965. What a time it was for baseball. But baseball wasn't the only thing that, that defined the era, of course. In 1965, Muhammad Ali defeated Sonny Liston in a match that lasted only one minute. Muhammad Ali was at the height of his fame. Lyndon B. Johnson was inaugurated for the second time after he took over in 1963 after the assassination of John F. Kennedy and was elected to a second term. This is also the height of the Beatles in the United States and their success in what was known as Beatlemania. They had a 1964 world tour followed by a 1965 U.S. tour. Their performance in August 1965 at Shea Stadium was the first time a large outdoor stadium was used for that purpose. The event brought in 55,000 fans and a sum of 304,000, or what would be $2.61 million today. Crazy, crazy times. 1965 was also the heart of the Civil Rights Movement. In February 1965, Martin Luther King and 250 of his followers were arrested for parading without permit. Malcolm X was assassinated in February of 1965 as well. State troopers swung bully clubs and sprayed tear gas in March of 1965 to break up a civil rights march in Selma, in Selma Alabama. It come to be called Bloody Sunday and was a huge impetus for the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed in August to outlaw discriminatory voting practices. On October 7th, just a week before Game 7 of the 1965 World Series, state patrolmen prevented demonstrators from getting on the buses with white children in Crawfordsville, Georgia, enforcing segregation. So we're very much here in the heart of the Civil Rights Movement and what was going on during that time. Sandy Koufax as well fought off his share of anti-Semitism during that time as well, but he always followed his faith. 
he even chose not to pitch in game one of the series as it was Yom Kippur, and he wanted to celebrate that holiday. As we get back to where we stand in game seven here, um, looking back inside the stadium and going away from looking at everything going on outside. Dodgers were still up 2-0 after four innings. Gave up a double on a walk in the fifth inning, did Koufax, but no runs crossed the plate. And he only got more dominant after that point. He went 1-2-3 in the sixth inning, struck out one. 1-2-3 one, in the seventh inning, again struck out one. 1-2-3 one, in the eighth inning, no strikeouts here, but no runs. Yielding only a single in the ninth inning. He struck out the last two batters. Here's the call. He did it. Sandy Kopax gets his tenth strikeout, his second consecutive shutout of the Twins on Monday on a four-hitter, today on a three-hitter. Every pitcher, of course, likes to finish a game with a strikeout. This was, of course, not a game. This was the seventh game of the World Series. It was honestly kind of weird to me watching this celebration because it wasn't much of a celebration at all. Like, normally we see, you know, guys throwing stuff in the air. We see the champagne bass after the game. You know, we, you know, we see them celebrating on the field. It was kind of weird. If you go back and watch the footage, they're not really doing much of any of that. I mean, you can even see the call was quite... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. Quiet and very serene and calm in a way. And they really, you know, they started hugging each other, walking to the dugout, but it wasn't this big celebratory thing that we kind of focus on now where, you know, they start parading the trophy around and all those kinds of things. It's, it's very interesting to see... Maybe this is a one-off, or maybe that's just what it was during the era, that it just wasn't, I guess, celebrated the same way that we think about it now. But it, it's quite interesting if you go back and look, that, look at that clip. But this was the third Los Angeles Dodgers World Series championship and the fourth total. So they won one in Brooklyn, and all four teams featured Sandy Koufax. 1955 in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Then 1959, 1963, and finally 1965 in Los Angeles. They didn't win again until 1981, but won in 1988 as well, and most recently in 2020. So they're at seven if you're counting Brooklyn and L.A. together, but just six in L.A. Koufax didn't miss a beat the next season in 1966, going on to win the Cy Young once again striking out 317 batters and 323 innings pitched, and just narrowly losing the MVP race to Roberto Clemente. The Dodgers were in the World Series once again, but were swept in four games by the Baltimore Orioles. In shocking fashion, on November 18, 1966, Koufax announced his retirement at just 30 years of age due to chronic arthritis. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972, with one MVP, three Cy Young Awards, three pitching triple crowns, seven All-Star appearances, four World Series titles, and five ERA titles in just 12 years. He had a career record of 165-87, and 87, a 2.76 career ERA, and 2,396 strikeouts. 
What a career. What a series. What a game. Sandy Koufax.